Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is up, sports fans? My name is Jake Igizuski, or Jake Iggy for short, and this is Iggy's Sports Talk. So I have a very special guest on the show with me today. He is Chris Gronkowski, who is a former NFL player and also the founder of Ice Shaker. So how's it going, Chris? Hey, what's going on, man? I'm on the Iggy show. We got what? We both got skis in our name. So it's all cool. Let's do this. Exactly. That That's hilarious. I, 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 I didn't even think about that too, too much. So you're Polish as well? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, but I did. Our last name is so I had to do, you know, the, the 23 and me the other day and it came back. And I guess I'm only like 18 percent Polish, though, is what I found out. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah, I have I have no clue how, how much Polish I am, but it's funny because my last name is Ignazewski. And so uh, it's actually like pronounced like, I guess, Ignashevsky. And they, but they but like my grandparents like changed the pronunciation so that it's easier for Americans to say. So anytime I say that to Polish people, they're like, you're saying it wrong, like you're ruining our culture. I'm like, oh, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> and they want you to eat progies, man, which yeah, I, I exactly. never ate growing up. So I didn't really know what they were. Yeah, I, I had I had to shorten the last name a little bit by doing Iggy because it, it was always such an issue. I don't know if, if you had this at all uh, in school, like with, with people being able to pronounce your last name. Yeah, and, and, and mine's pretty easy, but um, they, they would always pronounce it wrong. I don't know how because it's actually pronounced how it looks. So, uh, but yeah, it was always always got it wrong. Like they put an A in it or like Gronikowski, like all kinds of crazy names. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's definitely better to shorten it. Yeah, exactly. That's hilarious. So I, I usually like to start these conversations off, you know, re- reflecting on the last year. You, you know, it was sort of a year of 2020 to where it was a lot of unprecedented uh, circumstances. But, you know, there was a lot of people who were able to use the year to really learn more about themselves and, you know, have some really great experiences. So I, I was just curious if, if you could look back on 2020 and think of your best experience or the best moment uh, of 2020, uh, what would it be? Yeah, I like that. I like that because it, it was exactly like that for me as well. Uh, it, it was rough at first, uh, but it challenged you mm-hmm. to get better. Um, and for me, what it made me do was realize that I couldn't put everything on my own shoulders. I had to build the team, uh, especially with the business. Um, you know, I was trying to do everything myself. I wasn't really delegating responsibilities. Um, and I kind of you know, lived in this this sports world my whole life where great teams won championships. But, you know, I was trying to be a one man team. So um, I think my, my biggest moment in 2020 was realizing this and putting in a really cool structure and um, delegating a lot of the responsibilities to my my other uh, you know members of the team. And now we have a really cool structure. Everyone's super happy with it. People like responsibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, they like having the, the ability to. Um, do great things as well so now that i gave them that opportunity you know they've run with it and they feel like they're a lot more part of the team now as well so that was my biggest takeaway for 2020 yeah that makes sense and it must have been sort of interesting especially like when march first hit and it was a situation where i mean everybody in the world didn't exactly know when this uh pandemic was really going to end so i was curious just in terms of like the business and everything like how were you able to adapt yeah, so we we didn't know what was going to happen at first. So 
uh, I just started reaching out and, and trying to provide people with value at that point. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't want to try to sit there and try to sell people on anything at that point because you know, no one knew what was going to happen. Uh, no one knew if they were going to have income coming in. Uh, it was just a rough time. So instead, I reached out to our partners um, you know, and I just said, hey, is there anything I could do to help you? Um, you know, some of our gym partners said, absolutely. You know, we have zero content at home. You know, can you film at home workouts? And, and I did, I ended up on, um, you know, gold's gyms page next to Tony Horton, the creator of P90X there you go. and me and him had our own at home workout. So, uh, you know, just came about because I just, you know, the game plan was, Hey, um, you know, let's just try to bring as much value as we can to people during a tough time and let's just see what happens. So, um, that's how we dealt with it. Luckily for us, um, you know, after the first couple of weeks, we realized pretty quickly that people needed a water bottle now everywhere they went. Uh, you know, they needed one for work. They needed one for school. They needed one for youth sports. You know, you couldn't share a bottle anymore. So uh, we almost became like this necessity. Um, so it was pretty cool to see that, um, you know, our, our product still stood strong, even with the pandemic. Yeah, exactly. That's amazing how, how you, you know, you were able to, you know, take advantage of the opportunity and like, and like, it really sounds like you flourished in, in that sort of circum in those sort of circumstances to where you were able to really adapt and grow your business a little bit more. And um, it, it, I also saw that you dabbled a little bit in TikTok as well to try and help grow your personal brand. And I, I, I really liked sort of like how you were utilizing that platform to give fans uh, sort of a inside scoop on like what it's like for like specifics for uh, like NFL stuff. Yeah, man. Um, TikTok's been fun for sure. But um, yeah, just all went back to trying to bring people value, you know, trying to, to show them something they didn't know. And, um, you know, just told a couple of cool stories and realized that you know, most sports fans, they really appreciate it. You know, they don't know what's going on behind the scenes and to give them that, you know, is, is something they always wanted to know. So, um, yeah, I just kind of, um, you know, found this little cool niche and just started answering questions, you know, everything people wanted to know about the behind the scenes. And it, it just, it just took off. Yeah. I, I saw one, one of your most recent ones, it was after the Super Bowl, and it was about sort of like how, how much do players like make? And I, you know, I, I had sort of um, an idea that, you know, some of the star players made a good amount of money. I remember when Peyton Manning uh, won the Super Bowl, he had like an incentive in his contract or something like that. But I actually didn't know that like every single playoff game, like you get a certain amount of money. And then for like the Super Bowl, like I didn't know that the losing team also made money as well. Yeah. So it's, I mean, everyone just assumes they're making millions, right? And it's actually, See, the playoffs are, are more of a pay cut for most guys. You know, the, the first round of playoffs, if you if you win, you get paid thirty grand. And uh, um, you know, this is you know, some guys' contracts are for a couple million during the regular season, so they're going mm -hmm. from a couple million a game to thirty grand. Um, you know, in their first playoff game, it's a massive pay cut. And you know, these incentives are in some guys' contracts, or in very few guys' contracts. They're only in the big players' contracts, and. Those are still incentives like a uh, you know winning the Super Bowl. Um, I think Tom Brady might have got a half million or or three fourths of a million for winning the Super Bowl as an incentive in his contract. But you know if he didn't win the Super Bowl and he won all the rest of the games, I don't know if there was anything there or not. You know he's still playing for significantly less money than he normally would. So right. um, you know it, it's just something I always thought was interesting. And whenever I think it's interesting, I'm like other people got to think this is interesting too. And a lot of it people just assume. Um, you know one of them that drives me crazy is like. 
well, people for some reason assume that NFL players pay zero tax or like they get like these massive like tax mm-hmm. breaks. And I don't know where it comes from, but as a player, you pay more than anyone. You know, you're in the highest tax bracket. You, you're paying right. in every state that you're in. And uh, people are just automatically assuming like, hey, you pay less than, you know, these hardworking Americans. And it's like, no, I pay I pay way more. You know, we're paying six figures. I mean, you guys right. are paying millions of dollars in taxes. And, uh, and for some reason, people think that like it's just like a freebie and we don't pay tax. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. You, you know, j- just from somebody from like the New England area who's a big baseball fan, I, I always I always, you know, heard in the reports there was, you know, guys were thinking about in terms of their contract. Do I want to go to Boston and have to pay all the like pay an income tax, pay a sales tax? And instead, when I can go to Florida and none of that is is really intact. And so it's so it's interesting, um, really understanding sort of those technicalities of the contract, especially like taxes as well, um, because as sports fans, you know, we only look at like sort of like the plain view. Like we see the contract. Oh, this person's making this amount of money, but we don't actually think about like how much is actually getting taken out. Yeah, you know, California is a massive pay cut. So, oh, yeah. you know, you go to Cali and you're, you're losing about 13% compared to somewhere like Texas or, or Florida where you're not paying state income tax. Um, so, yeah, that is that is something that, that players think about. And what else that people don't notice is or, you know, they don't really understand is that you know, a contract, at least in the NFL, isn't guaranteed. Um, mm-hmm. you know, very little of the money is guaranteed. And most of them are back ended as well. So when you see a guy sign this you know, massive deal that is a new record breaker, you know, if he gets hurt in the first year, he's not even making close to that money. So um, it's not like, you know, the NBA, I think the MLB might be guaranteed as well, but football is a lot different. You know, you're, you're pretty much getting paid until, you know, the day you stop playing. And if you stop playing, you're probably not getting paid again. So definitely a different, uh, different beast than some of the other sports. Yeah, that is very interesting because because you do notice like sometimes like when you do see the contract details like they do have, you know, if it's like 80 million dollars, like, you know, 50 to 60 is like guaranteed or something like that. But like as fans, like we don't really think about it like that. I I remember um, just for like the the San Diego Padres just signed uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. to like a 14 year deal and they showed like the details. And in like the first like three years, he's making like seven million. And then like in like 30 or 2032, he's making like thirty six million dollars. And it's just interesting because, you know, people just think that it's it's not like back ended and they usually get the same amount every single year. Yeah, that would be interesting. Is I mean, is that all guaranteed as well? Because normally what they do is they back end it, but none of that's guaranteed. And then, you know, in, in the sports world, if you're not performing, at least in football, then they just cut you or they come back to you and say, hey, um, you know, you need to take less money or we're not resigning you. So sometimes those big contracts and, and you've seen it in New England with, you know, someone like Danny Amendola, who every year, uh, you know, came back and, and played for less. You know, they mm-hmm. kept taking uh, more and more out of his contract. So, um, you know, he might have signed a big deal at first, but at, at the end of it, when the big money came up, you know, they, they were going to either cut him or, or made him take a pay cut. And so if somebody gets like a one year, $5 million, and let's say they, they play into like week eight and, and like they get injured and then they, then they get cut. Do, do they usually get like half the amount of money of their contract or do they get paid until like the amount of weeks that they were on the team? So injury is definitely a different situation. Um, okay. Your team has to take care of you for, for an injury uh, in your contract though. You could get paid less if you get hurt. So, 
Uh, I did get hurt in week seven when I was with the Colts and and I, I tore my pack. I, I tackled Darren Sproles on the 15 yard line on a, on a kickoff coverage. And, um, you know, I had to have surgery. I was out for the year. Um, at that point, I didn't realize that my, my pay actually got cut to 60%. Um, wow. you know, you could, you know, as me, for me as a rookie, um, you know, I had, I had no option on the contract I signed. It was either, you know, take it or leave it kind of deal, but you could work into your contract that that isn't going to happen as well. So, um, it, it depends on the contract, but you it would at least get paid, um, you know, the rest of your contract. It might be a reduced rate, but they then have to take care of you. They have to pay all your medical bills. Uh, they'd have to, to take care of you until you're healthy again. That's interesting. Yeah, because I, I, I didn't know that. Um, I, I didn't really know how, how like that type of stuff works, especially with like injuries, because like, like you mentioned, like there's a lot of times where you see these guys make uh, get these insane contracts. And then after, you know, like a few weeks, they get injured and then you don't really see them. And then out of nowhere, they get cut or released. Yeah, so that that's when the the guaranteed money comes into play. So, you know, an, an injury is it's unfortunate, and um, you know sometimes there are injuries that affect the player for the rest of their career. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, when they sign a big deal, they have that guaranteed money. Once that guaranteed money's gone, that's usually when you see them cut them. Um, it, it's hard for them to let go of them before that because then they have to continuously pay them. But uh, they'd rather just keep them around because it's already sunk in cash. So, uh, right when that that guaranteed hits, that's when you know, a guy like that would be let go. Yeah, exactly. That's interesting. See, I'm I'm learning stuff right now, and and I I, I bet that's a very similar reaction that a lot of people have had. Uh, you know, just like scrolling through your TikTok, and I I see that you post a lot of that stuff on your Instagram as well. Um, so it it, it also must be interesting too, because um, it mu- must also help out some like arguments between friends try who who like try and like think that they know about what actually happens in the NFL. And they're like, no, look, Chris Gronkowski <laughs> says that this is actually how it happens. They're like, Oh, okay. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I posted a good one. I knew we kind of get that going too with um, the whole argument of college versus the NFL. Like could, could the best college team beat the worst NFL team? And mm-hmm. you know, I threw my argument out there and I thought it was pretty clean, you know, um, you know, kind of how I look at it is, you know, in the NFL, they're, they're choosing the best people in the world over the last 10 to 15 years that have graduated college. And in college, they're picking from the best players that have graduated high school in the last four years mm-hmm. uh, in trying to make a team out of it. And I mean, you could go and say that the Jets sucked or, or whatever it was this year. And, yeah. you know, Alabama it looks amazing. But at the end of the day, uh, the talent level is it's so different that there's no chance. I mean, once you once you're paid to do it and it becomes a job, it's it just the, the level it is just a whole new level. And I don't think people understand that. Um, you know, it's, it's not even the same and it can't be because as a college athlete, you know, first off, there's way too much turnover, but you're also mm-hmm. worried about school. Like you're doing so much other things that you're not 100% focused. And at the end of the day, you're also not mature enough. Your body isn't mature enough you know, your, your muscle, your density, all that, your speed, all that, you're just not there yet. So uh, it's not even close, but people will argue that all day that, um, you know, a team like Alabama would be able to beat the Jets and it's just not happening, man. There's no, I mean, it might happen one out of a hundred or something like that if they played a hundred times, but there would have to be a lot of fumbles, a lot of pick sixes and just a lot of luck for it to, to actually happen. 
It's funny because I've heard that so much and Alabama is always the college team that people bring up. And, you know, it's it, it used to be the Browns. Now it can be the Jaguars or the Jets. But I mean, I, yeah. I, I have the same I have the same exact argument. Like, I don't even think that practice squad of of the Jets or that the practice squad of the Jets could, could beat Alabama. It's, it's, it's just so unmatched. And it's a situation where it's like. 25 to 30 year olds going up against like 19 to 20 year olds. It's, it's just unmatched. Yeah. And then they'll say like, like you know, it's funny. Cause then you're like, well, you're, you're, they'll usually pick a team from like, you know, 10 years ago, that was like the best college team in history ever. And then you're like, right, you know, where's their quarterback? Like their quarterback didn't even make it in the league. You know, right. it just shows you the difference in talent that, you know, a lot of these guys, even if they got drafted or picked up, you know, they don't have significant careers. You know, the average is two and a half years, and uh, it just shows you how competitive the league really is. Oh, one thousand percent. Yeah, it's it's very interesting just looking at sort of like dra- newly drafted guys going in. Uh, I, I'm a huge fan of like looking at like the rookie quarterbacks and see sort of how they are able to handle things, especially like mentally. Um, getting pushed into a situation where, you know, you have a losing club and you're looked at as sort of like the savior and just noticing how their leadership tendencies are like when, when they deal with failure, how, how do they deal with that? I mean, a perfect example of sort of somebody being pushed into that and really not working out, hopefully he can reclaim his career is Dwayne Haskins. Uh, and, and now we're seeing him with the Steelers with a very good culture, with a really good coach and Mike Tomlin. Um, but I'm always fascinated with that stuff. Yeah, man, it, one, it's very hard for one player to turn a team around. And if you if you are a superstar and you go to a team that just doesn't have the culture and coaching, I mean, a lot of it's just turnaround, man, or turnover with, with the coaching staff. It's so hard to learn an NFL playbook. And I don't think people realize that. And, and why you see some of the rookies do good early on is because, you know, they could run. You know, if a guy can run, he can get himself out of a lot of trouble. And he doesn't necessarily need to know, um, you know, all the coverages perfectly and where to throw the ball every time. So a lot of times early on, they get away with it, but then the punishment comes, man. If you run the ball too much as a quarterback in the NFL, it catches up to you at some point and and you pretty much see it with everybody, man. It it just, Mm -hmm. it it never works out. You know, guys either get beat down or or teams put in defenses that, you know, they, when they have more time to study it and, you know, they get healthy and, and they're ready for it in the playoffs, they always seem to beat those teams that have the running quarterbacks. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a really good segue in, in, into the next topic that I want to talk about. I mean, you brought it up, a, a, a defense really doing well and studying immensely to be able to, you know, really make a quarterback not play well hap- was a perfect example of what happened in the Super Bowl. I, I mean, I, I was very excited for that matchup between Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady, thinking that it was going to be a, this incredible offensive showcase. And I... I, I I could not believe, I don't know if this was your reaction. Obviously you were rooting for the uh, Buccaneers, but uh, I, I couldn't believe uh, how much the Buccaneers defense dominated Patrick Mahomes in the Chiefs offense. Yeah. I mean, that was definitely shocking to everybody uh, just because you've seen them go against amazing defenses and you know, they always find a way to, to, to usually in the second half to just like bust out these amazing plays and long runs. But there's just man, that team is just so so stacked, and, and they finally came together as a team. And once they did, man, I, I'm I just can't see anyone beating them next year. I, I don't see when it ends because, um, 
you know, at, at this point, guys are willing to take less money to stay there. So I think it's going to be a pretty strong team for a while up uh, down in down in Tampa Bay. Yeah, one thousand percent. I, you know, even even as a Patriots fan, um, you know, I, I, I'm happy that that Tom, you know, had as much success as he did down in Tampa. I'm not, I'm not going to say it, it didn't break my heart um, when I got that notification that he was leaving because I'm 22, so I, I've essentially grown up uh, watch, watching him um, pretty much every single Sunday. Uh, but I completely agree with you that, that showcase that they put on, and, and especially what your brother did too. I mean, I, I had a lot of friends that like yelling at the TV, "Come on, why, why didn't I guess that?" Brady was going to throw a touchdown to Gronk. Like, come on. They're like, I should have bet that. And then, uh, and then obviously they're, they're like, you know what? He, he, he probably won't get a second one. They're like, I might, I might bet on him getting a second one. And then he got the second one and you know, everybody was like, Oh, come on. <laughs> so that was, yeah. What if he got, if he had three, it would have been MVP. <laughs> Seriously. I thought he, I thought he was going to get the MVP quite honestly, but I mean, Brady played unbelievable. Yeah, it's hard to take it from a quarterback, and you know that. It, I mean, he still got to go to Disney, so that was cool. One thousand percent. So, sort of, sort of, what? Uh, how did how did they set you up? Uh, like at the Super Bowl, like was ever was all the family like in a suite and like that sort of stuff, or were you guys were you guys able to all sit around like the stadium? How did they kind of set it up for you guys? No, it was, it was definitely tough this year. Uh, they limited tickets and. Um, my, I mean, everyone was in the 300 level. I got lucky. Um, my dad's college roommate had a suite in Tampa, and um, his his daughter, I guess his daughter's fiance, got COVID that week. So it opened up two tickets in the suite, and um, you know, I got super lucky to sit there. So um, yeah, that's that's how. I mean, it was a really hard Super Bowl to get tickets to this year, and normally the players have the option to buy uh, up to 15 tickets and oh, really? that was limited wow. down to eight this year. So, um, you know, just, we're just with family alone. Uh, we didn't have enough tickets, so we had to, we had to find ways to get them. Yeah. 1000%. That's pretty cool. And, and sort and sort of what was like the experience, like, especially like after, uh, you know, the three zeros hit and you realized that your brother just won his, his third Super Bowl. It was just, Shot. I mean, I was more shocked, like in the third quarter, that it was still happening. Like that, they, they had no chance of coming back. So, mm-hmm. um, it, it was amazing to see. It was almost like you know this feeling, like, hey, this was the Super Bowl that should have never happened. Like, you know, he was done playing the year before, and you know, you just didn't think it was going to happen. So, it, it was definitely my favorite one so far, and definitely the most memorable for me for me watching. Yeah, that, that must that must have been incredible. You know, you know, especially like knowing how hard Rob worked to you know come back and and be in good enough shape to be able to get to that point to be able to hoist up that trophy, even though they they didn't really allow him to touch the trophy. Um, but I, I I was wondering sort sort of uh, <laughs> I I everybody everybody was making that a joke like after the Super Bowl, they're like, when are they gonna allow Rob to touch the trophy? <laughs> And now they won't let Tom touch it. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Oh my God, I, I can't believe he did. He didn't throw that in the water. I th- th- thank God. It did, by the way, did you did you see? Um, you don't have to comment on this, but I don't know if you saw. I don't know if you saw the woman who uh, of the family who owns like the trophy that that they weren't they weren't too happy that Tom was uh, playing around with their trophy. Yeah, I did see that. I, you know, I'm just I'm just happy she didn't 
get mad at Rob about putting a massive dent in it. You know, Tom actually took pretty good care of it and he didn't, he didn't dent it. So I don't know, you know, why she was so upset about it. Yeah, me either. But I, I, w- I was just wondering, so uh, if, if you could just paint the picture sort of like when, you know, Rob, how, how did sort of Rob explain to the family uh, that he was coming back out of retirement and going back to the NFL? Oh man. Um, I don't know. I, I, I didn't really know about it until um, it, it happened. And that's kind of when it was, but he didn't want to really make a big deal about it until he knew. Um, there was so many pieces that had to fall in place for him to come back. I mean, he was still with new England. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was kind of, you know, he kind of knew that they couldn't afford to bring him back because of salary cap, you know, they, they already tried trading him in previous years. So, um, you know, it was kind of the thing, like he, he still wasn't sure if they let him go or not. Um, so that piece was there. Um, you know, his health was still there too. Uh, he didn't know if he could pass the physical at that time. Um, so he still, that was still up in the air as well. And uh, man, it just, he wasn't even sure himself yet. So uh, it was, it was kind of crazy. So kind of just, he waited till the very last minute to let us know. And uh, man, when, when I heard about it, I'm not going to lie. I was kind of, man, I didn't really know why he did it because, I left the game and it's a stressful game, man. You know, I, I didn't sleep for the four years that I played in the NFL. Uh, you know, when I finally left, it was a huge stress relief for me. And once you leave the game, it's very hard to get back into it. You know, that training routine is rough, man. That schedule was rough. Uh, you know, the abuse on your body is crazy. And, and so I figured once he left, you know, he would kind of see, um, you know, life after football is a little bit easier and um and he was making good money man he's some really cool things going on you know he had shows going he was doing some stuff with the wwe uh money was not an issue with him with when he retired so um you know for him to come back i just didn't think there was anything left for them to prove you know it, it was something where it was either all or nothing you know if they if he went back and they didn't win the super bowl it was a failure if he did go back and he won the super bowl it was like you were supposed to and you already have three rings so what's so cool about it so um, you know, there wasn't a lot of upside, at least I didn't think to doing it, but at the end of the day, there is because, you know, it's always that what if man, uh, you know, that you have to live with the rest of your life, you know, if he didn't go back because, you know, it was still there, the fire was still burning, you know, he, he still thought he had it. Um, so, you know, he would have had to live with himself saying, man, I still had one or two left in me, um, you know, if he didn't go back. So, uh, you know, he left the game when he was at the top. He was one of the best players. So I understand why he went back, and, and I would too. You know, if that fire is still there, if you still have it, you still have the itch, and uh, you know you want to, you still want to be doing it. You got to do it, man. You just have okay. to follow it, or you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And and you see a lot of guys doing it, especially recently. I, I mean, J- Jason Witten's another really good example of somebody who, you know, retired, went and did some like reporting stuff. And then the next year just came back and I'm pretty sure he just retired. But I mean, it like, like you said, especially with that training regimen of having to get back in shape um, must have been insane for him. And, and it's un- it's unfortunate when when, you know, these guys come out of retirement and come back in how to how the media sort of reacts because they try and compare how they played when they were sort of in their prime to how they are now coming out of retirement and i remember sort of what the media was saying about rob when he first came back they're like oh maybe his speed isn't there i'm like listen the the guy the guy what are you, what are you talking about the guy just came out of retirement like he, obviously he's not going to be in his absolute prime and and also like he's he's not he's not like 25 anymore yeah, so it's it's kind of funny though, because 
they also didn't have a preseason. Exactly. Uh, so that's that's tough, man. Um, I, I don't think people realize how big preseason is, especially when you're going to a new team and you're coming out of retirement too on top right. of it. So, um, yeah, football shape is something that's very hard to get into. Uh, you know, you can train all off season, You can do whatever you want, but you'll never push yourself as hard as you push yourself when you're going heads up against somebody. Uh, so you just can't get to that level. You know, I can train with a training you know, teammate or a partner, whatever it is. But, you know, the adrenaline rush you get when you line up across from someone and the level that you get to when you're playing a game is just you, you you can't take your body there without that competition. So, you know, the first couple of games, no matter what, um, you know, you, you're 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 dying. You know, you're you're hurting. You know, you're definitely not in game shape yet. And so to have no preseason is is tough. You know, people don't realize that. But you know, that's when you really get your legs underneath you. That's when you really get in shape for a game. So you didn't have that um, coming off retirement as well. And uh, also a new playbook. You can't play fast if you you don't know exactly what you're doing. If there's any uncertainty, you don't play fast. And, and that's why learning the playbook and knowing it extremely well um, is a huge advantage as well. So um, I think all those things played in, uh, you know, played a factor a little bit. But at the end of the day, man, they were clocking him at the fastest times he's ever ran in the last like five years, I think is what wow. it came down to. Um, you know, he's hitting, I think, 20 miles per hour, which – he hadn't hit since like 90, uh, like 2015 or something like that. So uh, it was like as fast as times in six years. So it was pretty cool to see. Yeah, that's amazing. Wow. And yeah, I, I think that kind of correlated, like you said, with, with the with the preseason to why we saw so many injuries this past season. I, I mean, I don't know if you remember week two. I remember I was watching Red Zone. And like half of my fantasy team got injured just in that just in that one week. I remember there was like 14 injuries in week two. And I think like five of them were torn ACLs. And do, do you think that uh, without the preseason, without the training, full training camp, that's one of the biggest reasons why we saw so many injuries? Man, I, I mean, I would say it's not it wasn't just preseason. It was also the whole offseason. Right. Um, you know, players in the offseason, they're not they're not just chilling, you know, you're at, at the complex, you're doing off season training. Um, you know, as a rookie, I was there the entire summer. Uh, and most guys are, you know, usually just the, the bigger names will find ways to, um, you know, train somewhere else or pay for training, uh, maybe in their hometown or in Miami or something like that. But for the most part, most guys are at the complex. And when you're banned from the complex for the, the entire off season, that's not a good thing. And that kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. You can't push yourself as hard as you can. Um, you know, with, with a training partner or, or a coach there watching you, a strength coach, they're definitely going to push you harder than you're going to push yourself at home. Um, and, and then once you get on the field, you're going to push yourself to a whole new level. So, um, yeah, I think I think the whole off-season training, um, you know, aspect of it as well was missing on top of preseason. And I think that just leads to guys not being ready for the physical demand that their body is about to go through for a season. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because not, not a lot of people really realize that. I didn't even know that a lot of players, you know, practice throughout the summer. You know, I, I only sort of have, uh, like, knowledge of – I see um, in the Time versus Tom, you know, they showed how him and Amendola and Edelman uh, would, would meet up all the time during offseason. And, you know, I would assume that other quarterbacks do that. But, you know, I wouldn't think that, you know, like a D lineman is, is practicing all throughout the summer. You know, you just don't really think about that. Yeah, and there, there were guys that would stay there the entire year. Um, you know, I, I would I would stay there a lot. You know, during times when we could take off, I would. But um, you know, sometimes guys never took off. You know, they stayed at that complex and they were 
there every single week training with our strength coaches. And, um, you know, if the strength coach was on vacation, uh, you know, he would still write out programs for the guys and they were there the entire summer, you know, they never took off and, you know, they were dedicated to, to the game as much as they possibly could be. So uh, I've seen guys do that, you know, where they, every week they were at the complex and they were going hard. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I never knew that before. But I, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about sort of some of your experiences uh, at, at college. So you started at the University of Maryland, uh, and then you transferred um, to the University of Arizona. And I was actually watching a clip on uh, on Conan, um, the talk show, and Rob, Rob was talking about some of the crazy parties that you guys had uh, at the house that you guys <laughs> shared. How uh, the, One of the stories was that, uh, that you guys set up a slip and slide in your house. Can, can you explain that a little bit yeah man so we like to party um <laughs> when we could right in college so the one night we just you know a couple keg stands later um you know you spill a lot of beer on the ground so we decided to clean it up with a lot of soap and there's probably way too much soap and we pretty much dumped half the container on the floor and it got super slippery so uh we decided that we just run full speed and dive through it instead and uh, it kind of just became this massive slip inside through the house. And the next thing you know, we we're trying to get more speed, more distance. Uh, so we're running out the front door. We're sliding from the front door. We're trying to make it out the back door. And, and with a little extra soap and, and less clothes, we were able to do it. And, um, you know, it just became this this massive slip inside through the house. We started doing like human bowling. People were lining up. And uh, it all kind of ended because I, I went through the wall um, at one point and you know, once we had too much damage, um, you know, we didn't have much money, so we, we couldn't really afford to, to take on any more damage. So we had to stop. Yeah. Rob said, I think in the interview that, uh, that, that you actually, that you guys actually had to like buy the house or he said like after his rookie year, he had to go back and, and, uh, you know, fix the damage. And I remember Conan's like, yeah, there was probably plenty of, uh, plenty of holes in the wall. <laughs> yeah. There was a lot of damage and, and yeah, it was, um, yeah, we definitely didn't do very well on that house. So um, had to go back and, and do some repairs for sure and fix some countertops and some holes. That makes sense. I mean, I get it. I, I'm i I'm a senior in college right now as well. And I, I've, I've seen a few holes in walls plenty of times. So I, I, I 1,000% get it. <laughs> yeah, some good college nights, man. I mean, it's not college. Exactly. We have a couple holes in the wall. Exactly. You, you got to enjoy life, especially you got to enjoy college while you can. So I, uh, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, some of your experiences in the NFL as well. So uh, you, you, you went undrafted, but then you signed with the uh, Dallas Cowboys. Uh, and, and I was curious, sort of what was your reaction uh, when you got that call that you were essentially going to be an NFL player? Uh, hey, <laughs> uh, I was pumped, man, for sure. But I didn't think I was going to be an NFL player yet at that point. Um, it was still a long way to go, uh, and it was kind of a, a long shot still to be undrafted and um, you know go to a team like the Cowboys where an undrafted free agent hadn't hadn't made the roster in ten years. So um, yeah, I was super pumped. I was super excited for the opportunity, and and I was just going to do everything I could to take advantage of it. Yeah, that that must have been pretty motivating as well, knowing kind of like the stat that you just said that no undrafted player has made the team in the last 10 years. So that must have really motivated you, especially when you first walked on to the field uh, to show these guys that you belong. Yeah, man, uh, for me, the, the motivation just came from the fact that I was also the first brother 
not to get drafted in my family. So uh, it was kind of this no no fail mentality. Like there's no option to fail. Um, mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to be the one brother that never made it. And everyone was like, yo, all your brothers, you all played in the NFL, right? Oh, wait, you didn't? Um, oh, okay. You know, what happened to you? So uh, I didn't want to have to tell a story over and over and over about how I was the only one that didn't make it. So uh, yeah, I pretty much had no option at that point than to just go all out and do everything I could to make it. That makes sense. And uh, I, during some of my research, I uh, read that you played with Tony Romo and, and Des Bryant as well. And I was curious, just uh, what were some of the experiences you had playing with both of those guys? Yeah, Des, Des came in with me, man. So he was a rookie with me. So it was it was pretty cool to, um, you know, go through all of camp with him. Uh, man, just super, super talented. And I feel bad because we had a couple of DBs come in in our class too. And um, I think they lost their confidence really quickly because they couldn't cover Des. <laughs> and, and even though they were good players, they didn't, they didn't realize how good Des was. Right. Uh, so, I, yeah, man, I still had a couple of drafted players that, he just made look really bad and um you know they didn't make the team and i, I think they just lost their confidence because of him but no it was cool man it, it was it was insane it really the whole locker room was filled with just so much talent uh walking in there was just like wow i can't believe i'm playing with all these guys right now um mm-hmm. and we had huge names we had d Ware there demarcus Ware. uh you know, i'm blocking for marion barber and felix jones and it, it was just such a special team with so much talent on it it, it was incredible to be there yeah, that that must have been incredible, it, and, and especially with, for the first team uh, to, that that you played with in the NFL. Uh, those those guys must have helped uh, you really get comfortable in that environment. It must have been some really good role models as well. Yeah, man, it it was you know, one of the best. I mean, D. Ware, I thought was um, you know a great role model. Um, it was a guy who was you know a. I don't know how many Pro Bowls he had at that point, but all pro. And um, he would he would have me go work out with him. Like he'd ask, like, hey, man, you want to come do one of my lifts at, at my gym? And I'm like, yeah, let's go. Like, who else is coming? And I'd show up. It would be just me, me and him. And I'm like, Whoa. you know, you just don't see that happen with, um, you know, a vet that asking a rookie to, to come work out with him. So, mm-hmm. um, man, that was the hardest workout of my life. Uh, still to this day, we started with, uh, we were cleaning 225 for 20 reps was our warm up, and uh, I remember I was ready to throw up after the very first thing we did, and then we went right into like these massive tire flips that were the biggest tire I've ever seen in my life, and um, that was the last time that I, I accepted an invite to work out with him, and I realized why no one else on the team was there at that point, man. But uh, just just amazing though that you know he would even reach out and, and, and offer something like that to. Um, you know, to a guy that, you know, he's seen hundreds and thousands of, of rookies come in and go and, you know, he really, you know, owes him nothing. So to, to kind of give me that invite was one of the coolest things I've seen, especially from a guy who was just, you know, the best, one of the best in the game. And just, you know, you just don't expect that from someone that that high, high of a caliber of a player. Yeah, exactly. I, I can only imagine how tough that workout must have been. You must have been hopping and puffing the entire time and probably pretty sore afterwards as well. Yeah, that, that was a good one, man. Uh, like I have no chance of completing that right now. <laughs> and I was in the best shape of my life at that point, and uh, it crushed me. It crushed me. 
That makes sense. And I, I, I also saw something as well on your, on your Instagram um, that, that it took you three years to lose the playing weight, which I, I didn't even realize that um, it, it, it can take a player that good amount of time to, especially with, with how bulked up you get, especially for those games. I didn't think about that. That would, that would take that amount of time. Yeah. I mean, you see some guys do it pretty quickly, um, especially linemen, but they got a lot of weight to lose. So, uh, right. yeah, I was probably, I was playing, I was playing at like 250 and, um, you know, I think my natural body weight's more around 220. So I lost about 30 pounds, but, um, you know, did it in a fashion where I was still working out a lot. Um, mm -hmm. I was just, you know, I just had to cut back. A lot of it was just eating. Um, Makes sense. when I was playing, I had to eat just to keep the weight and, I don't know how many calories I was trying to calculate it, but I had to be burning, you know, probably at least 5,000 calories a day. So, um, you know, to go from that down to just, you know, living a normal life, uh, you know, you almost have to cut your calories in half. Yeah, I bet it, it, it must've been sort of like an adapting period and a learning experience as well. And I I'm always curious about the transition, uh, between retirement and or, or playing time in retirement and, and how those two correlate. So how tough was it for you to be able to adapt? Uh, man, I, I got lucky. Um, I went right into my wife's business that she started and put a ton of time and effort into that. And, um, I was working 80 hours a week, just grinding. So, man, if you're busy, you know, you have nothing to worry about. You know, your mind's on one thing and, and that's how I've always seen everything in life. And that's why, you know, I, I, that's what drives me to just continue to work hard every day because I think boredom is a disease and um, I can't sit around doing nothing. I have to accomplish something. So, um, yeah, what happens is, you know, guys, they get bored. They don't know what to do. Um, you know, you're making millions and you go from, you know, hundreds of thousands a, a week to, um, you know, having to settle for a job for 50K a year. And most guys won't do it. So instead they don't. And, um, you know, they kind of just fall out in touch with who they are. They lose their identity. And it's a, it's a major struggle until you find it, until you find what you love doing, until you find your identity day you know, again. And um, it, it's rough. And we see a lot of guys struggle with it. So I got lucky. Uh, I definitely got lucky. And I put my time and efforts into growing a business that that grew really quick um you know right after i retired so uh yeah guys just they have to find something that they love doing and and do it and put hard work into it as well and um you'll start over you know i always tell them like man you you guys you've been practicing football since the age of what 10 12 14 right. you know you basically worked for free for 10 years before you got to the nfl so take that same approach now and put it into your second career you know, look at it like you did for football. You put all this time, dedication, physical, mental work into it and got paid nothing uh, at first until you finally made it. So, you know, mm -hmm. take that same mentality and, and put it towards whatever you love doing or, or the business that you want to start now. And it will get there as well if you put that same effort in. Right. Yeah. That's why that's why you see a lot of guys, you know, either do media or, or kind of go the route like you did as well. Um, you know, growing a business. Also, I see some guys doing like keynote speaking as well. Um, but but you brought up sort of the mm -hmm. business that you, that you started uh, when you ended your career, um, which is the ice shaker. And, and so I was wondering sort of how you came up with that idea and, and um, how did the opportunity get brought up that you could uh, that you had the opportunity to pitch it to Shark Tank? Yeah, for sure. So at first, went in my wife's business, which was a customization company that we still have, and did that for about five years. But um, it was her passion. I love sports and fitness and health, and 
uh, I was at the gym and I was crushing some weights and I had a plastic bottle and, and it was garbage. And I'm like, man, I've used the same bottle my whole life and um, it sucks. So I was like, oh, I just want to make a better bottle that I could use all day, every day, not just, you know, for work or for the gym. Like I just wanted one cup. Like I want this bottle. I'll bring it to work. I'll bring it to the gym. I'll bring it on the airplane. I'll sit on the couch with it and I'll drink out of it. But I just want one uh, that could also mix my drinks and keep them cold and, and do it all. So um, went home and I tried to find one and there's just nothing out there at the time. So mm. I decided to create this product for myself and it became the ice shaker, man. And, um, you know, took every issue I had with a cup and I fixed it. So um, instead of plastic, we made it a kitchen grade stainless steel. We insulated it. So we'll keep your drink cold um, for over 30 hours is, mm-hmm. is what it will keep it cold for. And then, um, you know, added a handle. I had to have the pop top on it because I love the easy open pop top. And then I had to have something to, um, you know, to blend powders with because I wanted to drink shakes out of it or uh, BCAs or whatever I was drinking that day. I wanted to be able to mix it as well. Uh, so I had to find a way to do that and then added measurement markings in it. And then I had to make sure every cup fit into a cup holder as well. Like that was like the one thing that would drive me crazy too is, right. you know, it had to have a good handle on it to carry it and it, and it had to fit into a cup holder. So it wasn't flying all over my car mm-hmm. uh, when I was driving. So, um, you know, that's what it ended up coming to, uh, took everything I loved about a cup, uh, put it into one and then was able to get on shark tank about six months into the company. And, um, wow. It was massive, man. It was everything people say it is. It just gave us the, the exposure that we needed, uh, gave us a proof of concept when all five sharks offered us, and it just it just took off from there. Yeah, and I, I really liked how you took a unique approach as well in, in showing sort of like the product because, you know, you usually see people, uh, you know, just blatantly just holding it up and trying to explain it. But you actually got the sharks involved by doing like the flip cup uh, sort of game. I, it, that, that took me so off guard when, when, I, yeah. when I was watching it. I was like, is he really doing this? Because I do this all the time every weekend up at college. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah, man. That was the best plan ever. You know, we just wanted to get them up and get them moving and loosen up the room a little bit. And, um, you know, we wanted to give them a chance to actually compete as well. You know, I couldn't mm-hmm. just do like a push-up competition or something because we crush them. So yeah, we had to we had to play a fair game. And, um, and we did. And, and Mark's still mad to this day because he didn't get a chance to go. But um, off camera, he did. A, you know, he, he showed us his skills and he was flipping them all in one flip. Oh, wow. That, that's that's hilarious Mark, mark's like see I, I i remember this from college i know how to do this stuff <laughs> oh yeah he's still he's still playing he's got to be still playing man he was too good that's awesome yeah it's it's funny because uh when i told one of my good friends max that uh i, I was going to be talking to you today he said oh tell chris i i love the ice shaker he's like i use it every single time i work out and he and he he said exactly sort of like the, te- the I guess a perfect marketing uh, sort of scheme for you is, is he's, he's like, it, it keeps it warm when I don't even have to worry about it for the, you know, 12 hours amount of time. He's like, he's like, it's the perfect cup. And he's like, I don't even really have to worry about it. Yeah. Yeah, man, it's a beast. I, I mean, I use it all day, every day. So um, I, I think that says something when the owner of the company actually uses the product as well. Yeah, exactly. 100%. Yeah, because I, you even said it perfectly in your pitch as well. Those get those things get so stinky sometimes and you just open it up and you're trying to have a protein shake and you're like, well, I don't even want to drink that right now. Yeah, man. <laughs> oh, man. That's hilarious. So I was just wondering, That's last question is, uh, is, is if you have any, any, any exciting things planned uh, for 2021, especially when things start opening up. 
Oh man. Um, yeah, of course we got some cool stuff coming up. We have the, um, the Gronk's YouTube channel, right? So I was just on a call before this and, um, we're planning it all out, man. So we got some cool stuff coming. We're trying to do a shootout with the, um, uh, let's see with, with Tampa Bay's goalie. Um, so bring out some of our hockey skills that we learned up in Buffalo. Uh, awesome. Trying to do a hot dog eating contest against Joey Chestnut, the the world's best, uh, you know, world's best eater or fastest eater. So he challenged um, all five brothers uh, to an eating contest. And man, I, I've seen that guy. I think he might beat us. So that'll be pretty cool to see, but I think it's going to be a good competition, but planning a lot of cool things. Um, you know, the channel is used more for a way for us to all get together and do some cool stuff together. And, and, um, and hang out as a family. So uh, now we kind of made it a YouTube channel so that you know, it forces us to hang out even more, which is pretty cool because uh, it's so hard for us to see each other with all our families and, and businesses and everything going on. So now it almost makes us make time for each other. So uh, I'm pumped for it, man. I love getting on these calls and talking through some of these ideas. Some of them are so ridiculous, but I'm like, that's going to be amazing. And um, yeah, we get to film it and share those experiences with, with everyone else as well. So I'm pretty excited for just you know, the fact that we could go out again, you know, hopefully, um, you know, after all this COVID craziness and, and all that, I'm just hoping to get out of the house and, and do some cool stuff again. Right. Exactly. I, I bet. And, and so listeners can find that at uh, the Gronks. They just search that, search that right up on YouTube. Yep. It's just youtube.com slash the Gronks. That's it. I love You'll it. find I the love channel it. and uh, uh, it'll be a lot of cool stuff coming. Yeah, they just we just threw up the boat parade. Um, I wasn't at it, but uh, all the rest of the family was, and uh, yeah, I mean, I had to watch it myself. It was pretty good. I was I was dying laughing. Yeah, it's especially uh, especially with Tom. Ever, he's never going to be able to live that down ever. I I, I was watching the Red Sox uh, spring training, and JD Martinez had a shirt had a shirt of Tommy. He's like, boy, he's like, I'm never. People are never going to forget that. That was epic, man. Between the, the trophy toss and just him having a good time, and exactly. uh, you know, obviously had a couple of drinks. Um, I think it just humanized him, man. I think a lot of people are going to like him a lot more and can relate to him a lot more now. I completely agree. I completely agree. Well, Chris, I, I really appreciate you taking the time today to talk, and everybody who's listening right now, go to IceShaker.com, learn a little bit more about this amazing product that Chris has, and also go over and follow Chris on Instagram and TikTok. It's at Chris Gronkowski. So thanks so much, Chris. Yeah, baby. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, my man. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.